Global leaders are being urged to adopt a new legal framework to support climate-displaced people and guarantee their human rights at COP28. Human Rights Centre, the International Centre for Advocates Against Discrimination, better known as ICAD, wants to ensure climate frontline communities won't be neglected. Alicia Foon spoke with Director and Change Facilitator at ICAD, Erin Thomas, about the legal framework, which was created by 40 Indigenous climate activists and researchers from various Pacific nations. So this is part of our Right to Life with Dignity project, which we've been working on the last few years with over 40 collaborators, mainly in the Pacific but around the world, looking to fill in some of these gaps that exist in international law around protecting people displaced by the climate crisis across borders. Now we're noting that most climate displacement happens internally and temporarily, um, but one of the thornier issues that the international community has yet to respond to effectively is protecting those who are displaced across borders. Now this is a huge concern. We've had uh, the likes of Tuvalu write in their constitution a few months ago that they still wanted to be recognised if Tuvalu goes underwater. We're seeing Australia-Tuvalu Treaty as well. So ahead of COP28, um, are you doing to advocate for this legal framework to, to be taken seriously and, and to get some notice? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as an organisation, we are a support centre. So we work to back the amazing work of our grassroots partners. So today was about launching our advocacy briefing on this legal framework alongside a training for advocates who are headed to COP28. But importantly, what's top of mind for climate frontline communities is the call to urgently phase out fossil fuels. Um, And this call is starting to sound like a broken record because major, major carbon emitters are still failing to meet their obligations. And the global stock take couldn't be any clearer, um, even in, in explicitly calling for phasing out fossil fuels and a radical decarbonization of all sectors. Now, it's really important that we have legal frameworks to protect people when the right to life with dignity is violated as a result of the climate crisis. But we also need to be holding accountable those major carbon emitters who contributed to those violations. So while we're looking to advance legal protections for those displaced by the climate crisis as a backstop, First and foremost, and especially in the context of COP28, we need to end fossil fuel extraction. Could you essentially break down some of the points of this framework? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the recent conversation around climate displacement has centered on refugee law. Um, And we've seen over and over again, for a variety of reasons, how there are shortcomings within the Refugee Convention, that it's not suited for climate displacement for a range of reasons, including the fact that people move Um, often with climate just being one of many factors. And the patterns of this migration are going to look much different to the way that we've seen refugee movements in the past. So what we've done here with the Right to Life with Dignity framework is brought together the lived experience of people on the climate front lines and their understanding of dignity, which is underpinned in the spirit of international human rights law, with the technical expertise of major law firms Clifford Chance and Kingwood and Mallison's and our multidisciplinary technical team to figure out what's exactly possible based on the gaps in international law as it stands. So there are two major cases that we draw on to see what those present gaps look like, both the Tessiota case and the Torres Strait case, which were brought via the optional protocol to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights um, in the last few years. And these cases both opened up 
in dissenting opinions, this potential to explore the right to life with dignity um, as one that could invoke this non-refoulement or the provision in which countries cannot send you back to your country of origin um, once you have, have sought asylum in that host country. Um, so we're looking at basically expanding that definition and embracing the vagueness in which it's been implied in these cases to really substantiate what dignity looks like to frontline communities, not just in legal language, but also with an evidentiary standard, which could be used in strategic litigation or in policy to emphasize that this is much different to refugee law and we need to treat it as such. I mean, I don't know if any country is getting it right. Um, I'd rather shout out the, the amazing activists on the front lines sort of pushing the envelope to ensure that governments are staying accountable to the people who are facing these realities. Uh, we've seen a number of, of movements, including the fossil fuel-free Pacific movement, um, really urging Pacific governments to take the lead um, in phasing out fossil fuels and adding that pressure to Australia and New Zealand. And in other parts of the world, for example, the Agenda Foundation case against the Dutch government has established, again, this government accountability and obligation to protect human rights um, as their actions actually lead to such violations to the right to life and dignity. Um, so I think I would rather shout out um, the activists sort of moving the needle and, and pressuring governments, reminding them who they're accountable to in calling for phasing out fossil fuels, because certainly these governments have a lot of different pressures being applied to them. And I think it's important to raise the voices of communities who are experiencing the harshest realities um, as we move forward. This is going to be extremely telling to see whether you know international legal protections will be adopted in COP28. But has there been any indication so far that you are being heard? I think there is some movement, particularly in the bilateral agreements that are emerging between countries as it relates to expanding um, just and dignified and safe migration frameworks um, that encompass the reality of, of the climate crisis. But that's sort of still the backstop that we're looking at. And of course, we want to be advancing legal protections for those displaced, whether that's through bilateral agreements or international law. But I think we still have to maintain the sense of urgency around ending fossil fuel extraction and decarbonizing, because if we're not doing that, our backstop is going to become our plan A, which is certainly not what we want and certainly not what climate frontline communities are calling for. And so I think it's maybe too early to say what the response is going to be. The global stock take was pretty shocking to read, and it's very clear on how dire the situation is. So hopefully they're hearing and otherwise. It's our job as advocates to make sure that we're heard, and so we'll keep on fighting. The United Nations Climate Change Conference is being held in Dubai from November 30th to December 12th.